You are listening to Books Are My People, a bi-weekly podcast for book lovers with book news, book recommendations, and ruminations on living a literary life in Los Angeles. This is episode 15. I am your host, Jennifer Calieris, and I am recording on Friday, January 24th. So apparently we had an earthquake the other night, but I slept through it, which means that I'm really, really tired because I am typically a pretty light sleeper. I do not like earthquakes. I don't know that anyone likes earthquakes. Maybe some scientist somewhere who studies earthquakes loves them, but I still feel very traumatized from the 1994 Northridge earthquake, which felt like a big giant picked up the house and was shaking it. But it's definitely something we have to contend with living here, and so you just deal with it or sleep through them. I saw the South Korean film Parasite last week, and it has quickly become my favorite movie this year with Jojo Rabbit just a hair behind. It is so bizarre and intriguing and suspenseful, and I don't even want to say anything about the plot um, because I think it's one of those kind of films where it's just better to go in blind because you are in for quite a ride. So go see it and let me know what you think at booksaremypeople.com. The chickens are doing fine. Six out of the seven are finally laying eggs, Um, but we had a little bit of excitement yesterday. My husband went out there and said, we only have six chickens in the coop. And I said, well, what are you talking about? And he said, Jezebel's gone. Now, mind you, Jezebel is my favorite chicken. You're not supposed to have favorites, but I do. She's so sweet and she sings and she lays green eggs. Anyhow, she was missing and I'm running around the yard calling her as though she's a dog who's going to come when she hears her name and we can't find her anywhere. And then I ended up walking down the street to my neighbor's house. My neighbor is never home. Um, Someone happened to be there and I'm jumping up and down saying, excuse me, did you happen to find a chicken in your yard? And the neighbor said, in fact, there is a chicken in our backyard. And he let me in and I had a handful of hemp seeds and I held them out and Jezebel came running to get the hemp seeds and I tackled her and grabbed her and walked her back home and gave her a scolding about running away. I wanted to give a big thank you to Michelle, a listener who wrote me a lovely review on iTunes. If you like what you hear, please feel free to add your two cents to an iTunes review of your own. It helps other listeners find my podcast, and I thank you in advance. And now, on to some bookish news. The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay by Michael Shaben will be a series on Showtime. I totally remember being in my mid-twenties and reading and loving this book. It was a huge book. Uh, I think maybe it's time for a reread because I don't really remember a ton of it, but I remember that I really liked it. Um, I'm pretty excited about the series and the story of Cavalier and Clay is described as an epic tale of love war, and the birth of America's comic book superhero obsession in New York. And speaking of libraries, the New York Public Library has, for the first time ever, published a list of their all-time checkouts. They published this list as a way to launch a year-long celebration of the New York Public Library's 125th 
anniversary. I won't read them all, but I will include a link in the show notes where you can see them all, but I'll just give you the top three. In third place is 1984 by George Orwell with over 441,000 checkouts. In second place is The Cat in the Hat by Dr. Seuss with 469,650 checkouts. And I'm sure you're all guessing what is in first place, but I bet you're not going to bust out with The Snowy Day by Ezra Jack Keats. And that book had over 485,000 checkouts. I recently had a former student from UCLA Extension's Writers Program, where I teach, contact me to let me know that his first novel is being published. I am so thrilled for him, and he sent me his book to blurb. That's those little quotes, usually by other authors on the back of the book, that endorses the book. Um, And then my student sent me a mock-up of his cover, and it looks amazing. And my blurb is front and center on the cover, so that was exciting to see. The novel is called Camper Girl, and it's written by Glenn Eric Miller, and I will post the cover and where you can purchase the book as soon as that information is available. Now, on to the books. My first pick is titled The Only Woman in the Room by Marie Benedict. She is also the author of The Other Einstein, which is about Einstein's brilliant first wife. She is the author of Carnegie's Maid. You can guess what that one's about. And most recently, she published Lady Clementine, which is about Winston Churchill's wife. Benedict has made a career out of writing historical fiction about women. The novel I'm going to talk about today, The Only Woman in the Room, came out in 2019, and it's based on the life of Hollywood film star Hedy Lamarr. So we all know Hedy Lamarr as this beautiful actor, but in this novel we also learn that there was a lot more to her than acting. The novel starts with Lamar, whose birth name was Hedwig Kiesler, as a stage actress in Vienna. This is where she grew up. She's pretty close with her family. Uh, She's Jewish, and the Nazi party is rising in power in Vienna. She catches the eye of a man named Fritz Mandel. He is rich and charismatic, and she quickly falls in love with him and marries him, only to find out that he is unfortunately in bed with the Nazis as he manufactures weapons for a living. She finds herself in an abusive marriage that has serious life or death consequences for her because of her husband's dealings with the Nazi party. The time that we get to spend in Vienna with Hetty reads like a thriller, and then her life takes a turn, and she embarks on a new career as an inventor and her inventions prove to be fascinating and important. I don't want to spoil what they were if you don't already know this information because it's really fascinating to see it all unfold, but I was absolutely captivated by this story. The book deals with issues of identity as well as explores how intelligent women were written off so easily just for being female. It's a pretty quick read, and I think if you are a fan of historical fiction, which you know I am, you will enjoy this book. And again, that is The Only Woman in the Room by Marie Benedict. 
My next pick is literary fiction, and I really knew nothing about this book when I picked it up, which is how I like to read most books, but the cover called to me when I was in a bookstore. I think I bought it over winter break when everyone was away on vacation and I was home, and the cover has a very vacation-y image, and I was like, well, if I can't go anywhere over break, I can go somewhere in my book. This book is called The Worst Kind of Want by Liska Jacobs. Jacobs is also the author of the book Catalina, which came out in 2017. And I read that one and really liked it as well. And I think she lives in Los Angeles, but I'm not sure. The protagonist is Scylla, and she's 43 years old, which happens to be my exact age. Uh, She spends a lot of her time taking care of her aging mother, who is a former actress, and Scylla is pretty bitter and full of resentment, and it seems to all stem from an inappropriate relationship that began when she was a teenager. So when she was 15, she was seduced by her father's protege, a man named Guy, and almost 30 years later, their lives are still enmeshed. She's always chosen her relationship with Guy over everything else, even though he's not really a great guy, he's moved on to younger women, he cheats on her, but he always comes back to her and she always takes him back and it's this very unhealthy cycle. Scylla had a sister named Emily who recently died of cancer and Emily never liked Guy. Anyhow, Scylla gets a call from her sister Emily's husband, who is now living in Rome with her niece, who's 15. And again, 15 is the age that Scylla's life took a bad turn. So her sister's husband calls and begs Scylla to come to Rome because he's worried that his daughter is making bad choices. So this rings all the alarm bells for Scylla, who knows that a bad choice at 15 can send you down a dark path. So she ditches her ailing mother, she hops on an airplane, with the one mission to save her niece and act like a mother. But unfortunately, the city of Rome ends up seducing Scylla in more ways than one. She reverts to an almost 15-year-old version of herself. She's partying with her niece and her friends instead of helping the niece, and she's circling in on one boy that her niece is interested in. It's almost like she's clamoring to take back the childhood that was stripped from her when she met Guy. I went to Rome last year, and I loved getting to revisit Italy through the pages of this book. Jacobs hones in on so many wonderfully specific details. You could practically taste the bread. Scylla is not the most likable narrator, so if that's a turnoff for you, maybe this isn't the book for you. She's a bit narcissistic and impulsive, and she makes some really bad choices. But the story tugged at me, and I really, really enjoyed it up through the very last page. And again, that is The Worst Kind of Want by Liska Jacobs. I picked up my next pick, The Deep, by River Solomon because I read the story behind it and found it so interesting. So the name David Diggs might sound familiar. He was one of the stars of the musical Hamilton. He played Jefferson and Lafayette, and I saw him perform it on Broadway, and he was absolutely off the charts amazing. Um, He is also part of a group called Slipping and wrote a song called The Deep. And the song is a story of this underwater society of people whose ancestors were pregnant Africans 
thrown into the ocean by men transporting slaves across the ocean. So let that concept sink in for a moment. So the book kind of moves on from that premise into a more specific story of Yetu, who's a historian in this underwater world. Um, They're very much like mermaids. And as I mentioned earlier, they're descended from African slave women. So the stories Yetu has to keep track of are very engrossing and painful. And she seeks solace by escaping to the surface of the ocean. She also wants to learn a bit more about where her ancestors came from. The two legs, which is what they call the people who live on land, have started encroaching on the on Yetu's community because they're searching for oil. So that's where those kind of two groups meet. It's the kind of book that is much better read than talked about. I'm not doing it much justice because it's so poetic and submersive. You really feel like you are existing underwater when you're reading it. It's super slim, but it's one of those books that demands to be read slowly because it's like poetry or music and you just don't want to rush through it. It explores themes of diaspora and slavery. It looks at um, ecological threats and the relationship between memory and identity. And again, that is The Deep by Rivers Solomon. My next pick is just a fun suspense novel that's akin to getting sucked into a lifetime suspense movie. So you know when you crave something like that, and the next time you do, you can read this book instead. It is called White Elephant, and it is written by Trish Hornito, not to be confused with another book titled White Elephant by Julie Langsdorf. This book takes place at Christmas time in Aspen, Colorado. Henry and Claudine are a husband-wife real estate duo, and they're about to hold their annual office holiday party, which is always a white elephant gift exchange. I totally remember my parents throwing these parties in the 80s. I wonder if they remember. Um, But the idea is that you bring a joke gift. It can be tacky or garish or a gag, and numbers are drawn to see who picks a gift first. If you go first, you get to pick first, but then anyone who goes after you gets to open their pick and then they can decide if they want the gift that they opened or any gift that came before them. So if you go last, then that's the best position to be in because you get to pick a gift from everything that's already been opened before you. So at this particular holiday party in the book, there's been a history of competition because everyone wants to get credited with bringing the best gift to the party, because then it means that they made the most money selling houses over the past year. So instead of being a gag gift, everything is super, super high end. This particular year, Zara, a pop star, is a last minute invite to the party because she's flown into town to see a mansion that Claudine is selling. So the party has begun and people start opening their gifts and everyone's a little confused when one of the gifts is opened and it's this antique cowboy statue. It's not showy at all. So everyone assumes that maybe it's a very expensive antique or there's some history behind it. No one understands why that gift is there except for Henry and Claudine because it just so happens that the cowboy statue is the weapon that Henry used to commit a murder many years ago. And it's a murder that no one knows about. And yet 
Here is the murder weapon, and it's clearly there to send a signal to the hosts of the party. So it's up to Henry and Claudine to figure out who planted the weapon, what this person or these people know, and what they want from Henry and Claudine. And there also is, of course, a looming snowstorm closing in on them just to make things a little more tense. I read that this book is a cross between Clue and Big Little Lies, and I totally disagree with that assessment. So I'm going to stick with my I'm craving a lifetime suspense movie in order to aptly reflect this book. It is fast paced. It's fun. It's a page turner and it's told from multiple points of view. And again, that is White Elephant by Trish Hornetow. My last and final pick is The Inventors by Peter Selgin. This is a memoir about memory that is so beautifully written. And like The Only Woman in the Room, it is also a book about inventors, which seems to be a little bit of a theme for me this week. Peter writes about his East Coast childhood in an interesting use of second person. So it's his adult self speaking to his childhood self through the use of the second person, you. It takes a moment to get used to this, but it turns out to be such an effective way to tell his story. Peter's story is about two men that were influential when he was coming of age. So the first is his inventor father, whom he spends a lot of time with, but never really gets to know him. And the story starts with his father's funeral, and a woman comes up to Peter and says, did you know your father was Jewish? And Peter has no idea. And throughout the book, we learn that there's a lot about his father that he didn't know growing up. And the second adult in his life is a man whom he refers to only as the teacher. And the teacher comes to his town and teaches an advanced class in high school. And Peter lobbies to be in the class and forms a very close relationship with this teacher that teeters just on the edge of inappropriate and for sure crosses the line when it comes to emotional dependency. But Peter's father is not the only inventor in the book. As Peter writes the memoir, he lets the reader in on his process, confessing that memoirs are in fact part fiction because the writer invents what he cannot remember. He talks about how he is a twin, and because of this, he's always inventing a way to individualize himself and separate himself from his twin. And the book examines how identity itself is an invention. This is not the kind of memoir that is heavy on plot, but it's so beautifully written. It's a philosophical reflection on memory and identity and, of course, invention. And that is The Inventors by Peter Selgin. And that is all for this week. I am currently reading the short fiction collection Once Removed by Colette Sarter because she is going to be a guest on my show in a few weeks. You can find me on Instagram at Jennifer Calieris. That's where I am most active on social media. And as always, all of the books I talk about are listed in the show notes section of the podcast, or you can visit booksaremypeople.com. Have a wonderfully bookish week.